Today, on this special episode of the Adam Schefter Podcast, we are going to be joined by a special guest. For the last two years, I spent time writing a book about my wife's late husband, Joe Mayo. And as I put together that book, I enlisted the help of a man who I believe is one of the top writers in the country, one of the best sports writers out there, somebody who's written some tremendous articles for Sports Illustrated and continues to do so on a regular basis. Today, our special guest is Michael Rosenberg, the man that helped me write, the man I never met. Michael and I spent so much time together the last two years detailing the project that arrived in bookstores and online last week, and we had a chance to sit down to discuss the creation of the book without any rehearsing. We didn't talk about what we were going to talk about. We just sat down and basically relived and rehashed some of the experiences that we remembered from the last two years in putting together the book, The Man I Never Met, a memoir. Ladies and gentlemen, Michael Rosenberg. All right, Michael, for those who don't know you, and I know you very well, you are the man who basically started your writing career, I believe, at the Michigan Daily, like myself. You went on to a distinguished career with the Detroit Free Press. Now with Sports Illustrated, you wrote the book Lucky Bastard with Joe Buck. I believe that your writing expertise and experience are second to none as far as sports writers in our country. The piece you wrote on Aaron Hernandez for Sports Illustrated and his brother, to me, blew me away. And I reached out to you at the time you wrote that, and I told you how much I thought you did a tremendous job there. And it's why I thought of you when we were putting together this book. And I've never told this to you. But there were only two people that we discussed as writers. You didn't know this, did you? I did not. I, I, for all I knew, there were 20. No, I did not know. <laughs> there were two writers that we discussed. One was you, and the other was J.R. Moringer, who wrote The Tender Bar, a great writer, lived up the block from me in Denver. And jr has got so many book projects that, obviously, I don't even think he returned my call. So <laughs> it was it was you. But to me, we had two guys worthy of this project. And I can't imagine having worked with anybody who could have done a better job than you did with me on this book. And so I'm going to start off by saying, going into this project, how did what you expect compare to what turned out to be? Uh, that's an interesting question because I, as you mentioned, I did work with Joe Buck on his on his uh, his book, Lucky Bastard, and I had a great experience. I mean, Joe's really easy to deal with. Unlike uh, me, he had. A, yeah. <laughs> well, that part was the same, but but he the way that worked basically was I, I I talked to him. I mean, it was an interview, but it was really conversation, and I took all of his words and I kind of shaped and molded them into a book. And he was really hands on in the process, and he had a he had a pretty clear vision of the story he wanted to tell, some of the things he wanted to get into the book. He's got a great sense of humor, and Joe, he's actually he's he's quite a talented writer, but he's just raw because he's never written before. Uh, and obviously he talks for a living, and, and, and I know him quite well. So I, I had a really good, enjoyable experience, and I figured that this uh, would be in the same kind of vein. And it was enjoyable, but it was different. And what I didn't realize at the time was Joe's book was presented very clearly as about Joe. Mm -hmm. You are writing a book about somebody else. And uh, for people listening, Adam wanted as little of Adam in the book as he could possibly get, right? I kept, I mean, I kept I, saying that to you. I got The more of Joe and Sherry and the less of me, the better off we'll all be. I kept saying that to you, right? Absolutely. And, and, and in the title there, obviously, The Man I Never Met, a memoir, 
that is also the fundamental challenge, I think, that we had this entire process. There were, if you think of this as a, as a movie where two principal characters never are in the same room at the same time, right? I mean, that's obviously the, the nature of the story, uh, and you can explain the story. So uh, structurally, it was a real challenge. Uh, I think it required uh, considerably more uh, outside reporting than, than either of us had really thought about at the time. Um, and I actually, the other part of this is you've obviously written a million stories in your life. So that part of it, uh, you obviously knew what you were doing. Um, so working with you was great. Figuring out the structure and the challenge of it, uh, I think for both of us, uh, was difficult. But ultimately, when, once you do figure it out, to me, that's the fun part of writing is figuring out how to tell a story. And uh, I'm, I'm hopeful. Uh, I think we got it right. You know, what's interesting about it, Michael, when we did the initial story for television on ESPN, the story that spawned the book basically was a feature that ran about my wife's late husband, Joe Mayo, that ran on the 15th anniversary of 9-11. And I had pitched the story to ESPN for the 10th anniversary of 9-11. And it was not met with any great warm reception at the time. It was sort of floating around out there as a potential story idea that nobody ever decided to act on. And when the 15th anniversary was coming up back in 2016, I remember that spring and summer, ESPN's feature producer, Greg Jewell, who used to help run Sunday Countdown, came to me and he said, hey, and I wasn't even expecting this, we're going to do that story that you proposed on your wife's late husband, Joe Mann. I said, great. And when we went to go do it, I honestly had no idea what form the TV story would take. And it ran on ESPN, and for those who haven't seen it, I would invite you to just go to YouTube and find it on there because the woman who put it together, Dominique here, a producer, did a tremendous job, and it tied together. And I remember writing lines to the story as I was flying around the country going to training camps, and there were little things that were popping into my mind. And it was a lot to get my wife to sit down to do the interview because it's something obviously that was so powerful and impactful in her life. And it's not something she wants to talk about, likes to talk about, um, but she did it. And she did it bravely and courageously and came across tremendously in my mind. And the story worked. And that story that ran on ESPN generated such a positive reaction that it led to the idea of a book. And when the idea of the book came along, it was totally the same concept as the TV story in that. I don't know how we're going to do this. I don't know what form it's going to take. And that's a little bit where you came in because we needed a lot more than just my brain power. And you were able to help tie this all together to make an expanded story of the one that ran on ESPN on 9-11. And so I would say to you, as you did this, Michael, what stood out to you about this whole process of assembling this story that we put together? Well, what, what really helped me in telling the story, uh, it, it helped me, I guess, with confidence with my, my mentality, but I, I really think helps the storytelling is the fact that you're living in the same house that Joe and Sherry had bought and expected to live in for obviously a long time. And in my mind, this was like a, a, a stage play where you have characters going back and forth not out there together, but the set remains the same. Mm -hmm. And so I thought that that kind of anchored the book and allowed us to go back and forth. And 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 I, I think it's, I don't know if it's uniquely American, but that there's a real American, um, 
I guess, part of the American dream of, of this ideal home. That Everyone has an ideal place they want to live, right? Some people want to live in the beach. Some people want to live in some penthouse in Manhattan. Uh, some people want to live in the country. But I, I think that's a real common thing is that people have a certain house. And you don't really know what someone's house is like until you step inside. And to me, that's what this book was. That's people saying, look, here's Adam Schefter. You all know him if you watch football. Uh, he, he's at the top of his field. He's doing very well professionally. Everything looks like it's the ideal American life. Well, here, we're going to open the door, and you can come inside the house and see that it's as conflicted and difficult and full of challenges as anyone else's life. And uh, that, to me, really, it, it made the process work and I think makes the book work as well. What did you learn about me that you didn't realize? Well, it's kind of... Um, it's kind of funny for, for, for people that are not in the media and they hear, you know, I'm a senior writer for Sports Illustrated. You cover the NFL for ESPN. They might think we have similar jobs. Mm-hmm. Our jobs functionally to me are about as alike right now as if you were an astronaut and I were a dairy farmer. I mean, they are nothing, nothing alike. And so Adam can tell, tell everybody, Adam, how many stories would you say you missed because you were on the phone with me? We can and then you get a text and say, shoot, I missed it on a minute late or whatever it was. We, we could think of some specific ones, I believe. Well, there were a bunch of them. Eli Manning got benched while we were on the phone planning. Deshaun Watson tore his ACL while we were on the phone planning. There was a coach who was fired while we were on the phone planning. There were trades that were made while we were on the phone planning. Corey Coleman was traded while we were on the phone going over edits of the book, discussing how the book would come out this month in September. I mean, you tell me what stories stood out to you as we're doing this process. And I'm like, I'm like, oh, shit. <laughs> this just happened. Like, and it got to the point, Michael, where whenever we're on the phone, we're doing this podcast for all I know right now. Roger Goodell just resigned as the commissioner of the NFL because you're on the phone right now. Right. I, how often did it happen? Well, I was thinking to myself, if Sports Illustrated decides they don't want me anymore, I could just get a job just working for your competition just to distract you, I thought would be a good career for me. <laughs> it happened over and over and over again. And you mentioned the differences in our job. Did you know that my job, I mean, I mean, you know what it entails, but do you know that my job was what it turned out to be? Well, I had some sense. You know, Adrian Wojnarowski is a good friend for uh, both of ours, and, and, and uh, I've known him for a long time, and uh, he obviously has a similar job to you. And I, I guess to me, and tell me if you, will, you would agree with this, this is how I think of your day. It's like being in a batting cage and the machine just never goes off. <laughs> That's a great That's way of looking it at it. it. Just, the balls just keep coming, and you just got to keep swinging and swinging and hitting and hitting and hitting and hitting and hitting. And it was amazing because I'm sitting there, and every time I sent an email, I get an email back. Every time I text, text back. There was no two days later, or I'll get back to you next week, which is how I would operate or a lot of people operate. And I'm thinking to myself, there are literally like 2,000 people in the world that you do this with every single day. And you know, I think people think, well, Adam must work 20 hours a day, seven days a week. I don't get that sense. My sense, though, is that well, you, you're basically on call 24-7. And a lot of that time, especially at busy times of year, you have to be working. And, and that's, that's the difference between us is you are part of the landscape of the league. You are part of that conversation. You don't just call somebody for information. You call them with information. And, and that's a skill that requires a certain personality and a certain uh, mentality that uh, I just don't have. I'm lucky I pay my bills on time. An obsessive, neurotic, anal, dysfunctional mind like mine, whereas – 
your personality was absolutely perfect for this book because I could not believe how relaxed you were about all this. I've written other books before, and every time I've done it, it has been one of the most panic-ridden experiences of my life. Like, as I've said, it's just, it's a brutal process mentally, physically. It just stays with you. I never was able to escape it. I would think about it around the clock. I couldn't sleep because I'd be thinking about how we're going to craft a certain chapter. And by working with you here, I never had ever the sense of calm that you demonstrated throughout this entire project that reassured me that everything was always just okay and was going to turn out to be just the way that it did. You have a calm that I wish I could have, Michael. Well, this may be the uh, the only skill I have is writing. I don't know. But um, I always think one day I'm just going to sit there on deadline and I'm going to look up and there will just be no words and they're not coming and that'll be it for me. That'll be the last day. But in the meantime, I, I guess I've just been through so many deadlines and had the words emerge so many times that it almost becomes like you, I need the deadline. And, you know, sometimes they'll I'll, I'll, I'll have to turn in, a, say, a column for the magazine at 9 a.m. on a Monday. And, and obviously I'll think about it. I won't really get up and finish that column. I won't finish it until I get up at like 5 a.m. on Monday. Because then I sit there and I'm looking, I go, I got to finish this now. And it comes, it just happens over and over. So as we were going through this process, I, I really did feel like, yeah, we're going to get this done. And that's, that, that's my role here is basically to please one person, which was you, right? And so as we went through this, I said, Adam, we're going to get this done. And if you don't like it, we're going to redo it until you do like it. And, and that's just how it's going to be. And uh, ultimately, it didn't really require a lot of redoing, but it did require a lot of discussion to figure out how to tell a story. And my role was to make sure that my wife was happy and her in-laws were happy and the entire Mayo family was happy because that was what was important to me. I wasn't as concerned about myself. My thought was that as long as I found it tasteful and um, appropriate for them, that they would be okay with it. And, you know, I cannot even imagine what it would be like. Well, I have an idea of what it would be like for them to read this book and have to relive everything that they went through in their minds. Uh, it had to be so hard. I know that when my wife finally read the book and it took her a long time to sit down to finally read the book, that it worked her up and it touched her. And she was really sad having to go back into that time of her life. She lives with it every day, but she has distanced herself emotionally from it to a certain extent, though it's scarred her and changed her. And after she read it, um, you could see how it impacted her and just brought her back to that time in the life because uh, she was really sad and expressed how sad she was for her, for our son Devin, for the Mayo family. And we all go on in life and we do the best we can, but the, the Mayos can never escape that because... To lose their children the way they did is something that's so powerful. Um, and it's just so sad. And obviously the central figure in this book was Joe, Joe Mayo, my wife's late husband. And he comes across as somebody who was perfect. But I have an idea of him, Michael. You've, done, you've made a lot of calls about Joe. You've spoken to a lot of people about Joe, as I have. Was he as good and as perfect as he is made out to be in this book? 
Well, I, I think the word I would use is probably not perfect. It would be different, maybe unique. He just he had this quality about him that we, we, we speak about, write about right at the beginning of the book where I think the way we phrase it is he just made you feel like good things were going to happen to him and you were happy for him that they were going to happen to him. And you felt like by being near him, good things are going to happen to you too. And it's just a quality that he had going back to childhood. And and that's why when he died on 9-11, his friends were not just stunned, but truly in disbelief. They Obviously, you, you can't anticipate that. You don't imagine that happening to anybody. But the idea that it would happen to Joe Mayo, it, it blew their minds because they just he was Superman to them. And it's not that he was perfect, but he just had this magnetism about him that you just don't find in that many people. And uh, we really, I think, I hope, presented him as a three-dimensional person that he was, and, and Sherry was, was really helpful with that, too. And um, he, he was not somebody that you meet and then think, I'm going to be another person like this. I mean, he was just, just one of a kind. And uh, I, I think that, 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 to me, is what lingers with them, is they, just, they still can't believe Joe Mayo is gone. It's like that's the one thing they always thought, well, Joe's going to be fine. Joe's going to do great. Uh, and, and in addition to losing their friend, I think that was what was stunning for so many of his friends, uh, was that this, of all people, was the person this happened to. You know, it's funny. I gave the book to somebody to read, and they read it, and their reaction was, well, I cannot believe that Joe was that magnetic and charismatic and dynamic. And they went on to his tribute page after he passed away to see the comments that people left. And I know you read that as well as part of the research yeah. for this book. But the comments on the tribute page to Joe Mayo would tell you the type of man he was and the type of life that he led and how special he was. What was your takeaway when you read the tribute page to Joe Mayo? Well, that that was probably a jumping off point for some of that sort of outside reporting that, that I did because uh, I did call some of those people or they would put me in touch with somebody else and you know, you want specifics. I mean, as a writer, uh, saying someone is a great guy doesn't do anything for yeah. me. I want to know specifically what did he do, some of the deeds, some of the acts, what was he like, and that sort of ease he had about him, that feeling he gave you. That that's what I wanted to capture, and uh, that's you, you remove that person uh, from so many people's lives, uh, and we get into that with, with his funeral and all these people, even people that he was not really in that close touch with at the time were really, really, really shaken by this. And, and, and that feeling has stuck with them all these years later. And that's what we wanted to get through in the book, because I, I really think that that's, that's sort of the heart of what the book is, is this idea that anyone has this perfect life that you can really control and plan uh, and build your dream. I mean, it's limited. It's limited. There's a certain level of you would say fate, but just events occurring uh, that you just can't control. And so much of it, as we've heard so many times in sports, it's not what happens, it's how you deal with it. And and that's that's what this book is. I think that's what Sherry has, has done so incredibly well. It's, it's inspiring how she has sort of rebuilt her life. It's obviously not ever what she planned, but it, it's also your life is not what you planned, but you have gotten yourself to a place where, where you're happy and, and, and feel good about it. And so... I think what works about the book is it's an unusual story. It feels unique, but it also, I think, feels universal that, that people can connect to it. 
uh, no matter their own circumstances. And we're not trying to sell the book. <laughs> yeah, really not. But what do you think people will take out of this book? You know, it's going to depend, um, I guess, on, on the reader. The one thing you know as well as I do uh, from all our years reporting, all you can do is tell the story that's there. You know, you can't – we don't try to, to – to, you can dress it up or whatever you want to do, but this is the story, and it, it's pretty raw. It's just laid out there, um, and it will hopefully – you know, people get something out of it works for them. I'm sure there are people that, that, that pick it up and read a couple pages and put it back down. That's just how books go. But I think it was your mom who said this is a book that sticks with you. Yep. I mean, I think that that's hopefully what it, it's just, it, it gets them thinking a little bit. And it, it's not a preachy book. It's not telling anyone how to live their life. It's not saying this is what I learned and this is what you should learn. It's just, this is a story that maybe you can connect with and understand. And every family has stories everybody has complicating dynamics and and these are yours and i to me i felt like i could connect to it just reporting and talking to you and and putting it together hopefully people get something out of it um you know we'll see again that depends on uh, on the reader but i think that's what it is is that this is not hey let me take you into the rarefied air of the nfl and all of these movers and shakers this is just a very simple human day-to-day story of dealing with tragedy. And as I think we say in the book, it's, it's not a story about September 11th. It's about September 12th and every day after and, and what you do and how you deal with it and just how these people, uh, specifically your family, dealt with it. We'll be back in a moment with more of my conversation with my co-author, Michael Rosenberg. But first, let's talk about Hotel Tonight. Hotel Tonight makes it easy to book awesome hotels at amazing rates. They're basically a matchmaker between top-rated hotels that have unsold rooms and people who want to book those rooms. And even though the name's Hotel Tonight, it isn't just for last-minute bookings. You can book for tonight, tomorrow, and beyond. Whether you're a planner or a procrastinator, you can use Hotel Tonight to lock down your vacation plans. So to start finding sweet deals at cool hotels you actually want to stay at, start using Hotel Tonight now. And you brought up my mother, and it's funny that you remembered that. And it's funny how all the conversations we've had sort of flash into your mind as we were having this conversation. But after my mother read the book, that was the one thing she said. And we've all seen movies like this and we've all read books like this where when you finish them, some of them, they escape your thinking right away. But some of them, they just stay with you and you think about them and you ponder what it was like. And that was what my mother said. And yes, she's my mother. Okay, so of course you would... Expect her to have kind and nice things to say about the book. But she said, I have to tell you, I read the book and I can't stop thinking about it and everything that's in it. And I think that the people that don't know the story, they don't know everything that's in there. And even when I passed one of my bosses here at ESPN, Mark Gross in the hall, he said that he told his wife that she has to read this book. And she said, what is it about? And he said, well, we did the story, the TV story on ESPN, but there is so much more to it than even I knew or realized. And I think, as I have told people, the TV story, which was a great story, a great job done by Dominique, was, it was like an hors d'oeuvre compared to what this is now. Would you agree with that assessment, Michael? Well, yeah, I think, you know, video, uh, and it was, it, she did a wonderful job, but video can 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 capture something and move you instantly in a way that that the written word maybe doesn't. But if you added up all the words in the video and printed them out, 
even describing the pictures, you wouldn't get nearly as many as are in a book. That's just the nature of the medium. And so, yeah, I do think we, we tell more stories. You get a lot, you know, a lot more about Joe, uh, certainly from reading the book and also, but also about you and, and, um, your dating life before you met Sherry <laughs> and what this was really like for Sherry on, on a daily basis, what it's been like for Devin uh, to grow up without knowing, uh, his father and, and you forging a relationship with Devin, which, you know, it sounds great and it's never easy. I mean, having a relationship with any of your children, I, I've got three of them, but they, there's always work involved and, and the circumstances in which you entered it uh, probably requires some more work. I mean, that's just how it is when, when you're coming into a, uh, basically having a stepson. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think there's just a lot more in, in the book. It's not a long book, but the similarity to me between the book and the video, the, the common thread is this. You just wanted to get Joe's story out there when you did the video, right? That was your yep, basic that was the goal. goal, yeah. Right. That's all we did with the book. Just here's the story. Um, there were publishers that were not sure <laughs> it was going to work. There were moments we weren't entirely sure it was going to work as a book. I have no idea if people are going to buy it or not. It was just, let's just get this story out into the world. If you want to create something worthwhile, that's really the thought you have to have. I just want to get this out in the world. Uh, and so it's out there, and, and again, hopefully people read it and, and enjoy it and find it interesting and connect with it, but but I think do think we did what we wanted, which was to get Joe's story and your family's story just out there. And that was the genesis of this whole thing to begin with, I don't know, seven, eight years ago, Shari said to me, why don't you ever acknowledge my late husband on any of the platforms that you're on, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram? I'm like, my wife is a very private person very private and i'm like you want me to talk about joe and she said yeah and i said okay i'd be honored and that started me with the idea that i would pitch espn on the story that became the tv story that led to the book because she initially prodded me to try to honor his memory and i've always been fascinated by him even though i didn't know him and so her statement which surprised me, frankly, because I thought that she wouldn't even want me to ever acknowledge it or talk about it publicly, led us to these things that now have come to life and tried to preserve and honor Joe's memory. And I think we did that here. I, I believe we did that here. And hopefully anybody who reads the book will agree with that. In the end, Michael, when you look at this book now, did the book turn out to be what you wanted it to be? I, I I think it did. You know, when you talk about Sherry and her feelings about that and her request there about you talking about Joe a little bit, I found it really, really interesting and moving and talking to her because Sherry, like you said, she is a very private person. She said right at the beginning when we were in your house, she said, well, what's the point of this book? Why is this different from any other book about 9-11? Yeah. She didn't really understand. I, so there's this kind of you know, back and forth in, in, in her mind, I think, this conflict between the fact that, A, this is an all-consuming part of her life for a long time, and it's something that stays with her, obviously, every single day and always will. On the other hand, she's not somebody who wants to go out there and have the whole world know her story. So you kind of go back and forth between, well, you should be paying attention to, to this thing that I'm living with, but also I don't need the attention from everybody that comes with that. 
And and I think that, that that's a that's a very real and, and natural struggle that Sherry has had. And so um as far as the book, like I tried to get through who the everybody is. I tried to get through what this was really like for Sherry, what it was you know, what Joe was really like, what it was really like for you, we talked about that. And obviously, when I say I tried to get it through, I mean, we went back and forth with the manuscript, sending it back and forth, obviously, mm-hmm. uh, to get it right. But, yeah, I, I just think, I, I don't know if, I, I think that the story, the story and all the parts and dynamics of the story, it's really moving. All we try to do with the book is tell the story. So if it works, it's because the story is moving. It's not because of any sort of, writing flourishes or any magic tricks that the writers did. I, I just think that the story itself is something that resonates with people. And Sherry was haunted by the fact that when Newsday did a little portrait on Joe Mayo and the New York Times did those portraits of grief where they wrote three, four, five paragraphs about everybody that perished on 9-11, which at the time I really enjoyed reading. And I love to think about these people's lives like it really touched and moved me to read those portraits of grief when they did joe's portrait of grief in the new york times shari felt like it did absolutely zero to capture the man he was and the life that he led and so she was distrustful of people trying to portray joe's life and and honor his life she didn't think that anybody would be able to do it justice and I can say on these pages, I think it was done justice to the point where people are wondering, well, could he actually have been like that? Was he that much like Superman, as you said? And I think anybody who reads this gets a real sense of who Joe Mayo was and added reasons why it was so tragic and unfortunate uh, that he lost his life on the single worst day uh, of our country's history in my mind. Yeah, and, you know, one of my um, pet peeves as a writer, going back to really when I got into this business, is somebody dies and there's a whole long story about how they died or the disease that got them or whatever it was. And I always, whenever I go, however I go, if anyone's going to talk about me, I would hope that they spend more time talking about how I lived than how I died. Hmm. And and that's what we tried to do with Joe. And, and, And that's why you said right up front, like, we all know what happened on 9-11. We are not minimizing it. We are also not spending 200 pages talking about it. I mean, that this is not about the attack. This is about the life that this man lived and the lives that he affected and the lives that picked up after he died. Michael, I want to thank you uh, for the time today, but more important, everything that you did to help honor Joe's memory and to help put together this book. Uh, I think that It worked out, like I said, as you said, as well as it possibly could. Uh, I think the people who read it will be moved and touched by it. I think it's worth people reading. And we'll see how everybody reacts because the book is now out. Uh, It's just come out. And I think it's got a chance to impact people's lives. And we'll see whether or not that's actually true. Well, I was certainly honored and flattered that you asked and and I as I always try to think this when I work on something like this, you have to be respectful. Uh, this is somebody's life. You know, it's, it's, it's a, it's a book project for me that I take very seriously. Like with any story you take seriously, but when you're writing about someone's life, it means more to them than it does to you. And you have to, to take care with that. And so 
that's why it was a it was a great relief to me that that uh, George Joe's father uh, said appreciated the book uh, that Sherry was moved as she was like you said um, that's what matters you just want to tell these people's story and, and and honor them so hopefully we did that and before Lee go ahead you ever worked on anything as tricky as this because there are a lot of different sensitivities and people involved and you've done a lot of pieces over time you know everything is a different challenge i guess i had um i i wrote a book uh about woody hayes and bo schembechler and cultural unrest and vietnam mm. and nixon and uh it, it's called war as they knew it that that was a real challenge and i'd never written a book before this was just a different kind of challenge because it was really a, a matter of of putting this together and telling this story and the pieces it's like a puzzle and you're sitting there and you're saying, well, I have this piece in my left hand and this piece in my right hand and I'm looking at them and they will never fit snugly together. They just won't. So I have to arrange them in a way that visually works for people that they can see how they connect. And that was the challenge of the book. And uh, again, I really felt like thinking about it as a, as a, as a, as a stage play with that house as the set. And there's so much more about the house in the book. I think, I don't even think you really had thought about it that way until I talked to you about it. But to me, that's what makes it work. And, and um, so, yeah, it, w- it was a different kind of challenge, but uh, that's, that to me is why, why I became a writer. I like those challenges. I don't want to write the same thing all the time. So hopefully, hopefully we got it right. You observed things and figured out things that even I couldn't figure out living my own life. Like you're talking about this being a stage play with the house as the central set. I never even thought about it like that. But that's what bringing in another set of eyes and another brain with greater brain power and, and a different perspective can do. You see things in a different light that I never could have. And that's why you were indispensable to this project, Michael. Thank you. Well, thank you very much. Thank you for asking me. So there is my co-writer and my friend, Michael Rosenberg, the co-author of The Man I Never Met, a memoir. We'll be back on Wednesday with a more traditional Adam Schefter podcast. And we're joined by my other friend, Chris Mortensen, and the NFL senior researcher, Evan Kaplan, to dissect the week two matchups as we get ready for what's ahead in this NFL week. Thank you for listening today, everybody.